Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. The smell of old books. You walk into a used bookstore, you pull down a volume at the library. You know this smell, mm-hmm. right, Grant? Yeah. It hits you. You know exactly what I'm it's talking about. It's one smell. Yeah. How would you describe it? Oh, uh, childhood, libraries, yeah. Yeah, memory, yeah. Right. Um, pleasure, right. all those yeah. things. It all comes yeah. from that smell. Did you know that researchers in London have analyzed that smell, and they've come up with a description of it? They describe it as a combination of grassy notes with a tang of acids and a hint of vanilla over an underlying mustiness. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought maybe it was insect poo. I didn't want to really want to I didn't want to find out more, really. <laughs> that sort of sounds like a fine wine, right? Yeah. Well, and they explained that the smell is actually the result of volatile organic compounds that are released into the air from the paper when mm-hmm. you open up a book. And the reason that you get that vanilla in part is because of the compound lignin, which is present in the cell walls of plants. Mm-hmm. And you find it in all wood-based paper. And so the chemical structure of lignin turns out to be very, very close to vanilla. So that's oh, why you get those vanilla interesting. notes. So my books are off-gassing, you're telling me. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't know that word until I started reading this uh, <laughs> that, this story. How do you know off-gassing? I learned it because that's what happens in a car. When a car, the interior of a car has a particular smell, it off-gasses. Pla- really? Plastics off-gas. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, they use that term in mm-hmm. the article about uh, books, off-gassing. So I go into a library, and I'm smelling chemistry at work. Mm-hmm. I'm smelling mm-hmm. plant life You're decomposing. The yes. books are slowly decomposing on the shelves then. Yes, Wow. Yes, and they use that technology now. They're they're developing this technology to work with books so that they don't have to cut books mm-hmm. when they're doing uh, analysis of them. Mm-hmm. They can actually tell how old a book is by the waft. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So you don't have to destroy these ancient texts. Yes, exactly. Oh, tell us what that smell makes you think of when you go to a library and you have that particular sensation. Where does it take you? Does it take you to a library that you loved? Does it take you to a book that you remember? A librarian who was a good friend and always recommended just the right thing. And smell like books. Yeah. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Claire and I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hi, I'm glad to be on. (laughs) Glad to have you. What can we help with? Well, so um, I was curious about a phrase that my grandfather says, and um, he says he learned it from a friend when he was a senior in high school who came from Beaumont, and the phrase goes like this, that's a dingbat off of a whiffum dilly that you grind the smoke with. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> a dingbat off of a whiffum dilly that you grind the smoke with. And he says this in response to what? So if you're asking, uh, hey, what are you eating? And he maybe doesn't want to share or tell you, he would say, well, that's a ding bat off of a woofum dilly that you grind the smoke with. Or <laughs> if you pick up a tool and you're not sure what it does um, and he wants to give you a silly response, that's what he says. All right, then. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> And then how do you respond? She puts salt in this coffee. I don't know. What do you say to a man like that? Uh, Well, I kind of just give an inquisitive look like, huh? But uh, my brother, who is 
six years younger than me, mm-hmm. um, picked up on it. And he says it all the time now, mainly to annoy my, my youngest sister, who is 12. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I just kind of kind of blank stare or ask my question again. But he gets a real kick out of saying that to us. Oh, gosh, that's terrific. I've never heard that version. Have you, Grant? No, no, that's a new one to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of that great tradition, I suppose, of things that parents say to kids when kids ask too many inquisitive questions about, mm-hmm. what you doing, Daddy? Yeah. What you making? Where we, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it does. It does catch you up short, right, and make you stop and think. Um, I've seen other versions of this that all have to do with that notion of grinding smoke, which hmm. is which is pretty ridiculous, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen versions like that's a hooey dink for grinding smoke or a Ouija for grinding <laughs> smoke or a, a wigwam for a water windmill for grinding smoke. Hmm. <laughs> well we did a All call right. we did a call a couple of years ago where somebody asked about the expression layers for meddlers and crutches for lame ducks, mm-hmm. right? And it's the mm-hmm. same sort of thing. It's like what do you, what are you making, Mama? Layers layers for meddlers and crutches for lame ducks. And there's like fifteen or twenty versions of that too. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, and they're all kind of a way of saying go away. A whim yeah. wham for a goose's <laughs> bridle yes, is another yes, one, right? Yes. Do you know this one? No. Claire, a whim-wham for a goose's bridle. So what you need to do is prepare yourself for the ones that Martha and I are giving you. So when <laughs> okay. your grandpa comes with, says this to you, you say, no, it looks like a whim-wham for a goose's bridle to me. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's good. Or a wiggly-woggler. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, wiggly-woggler. And what was your word, Claire? Now I've forgotten it. A dingbat. Off of a whiffum dilly that you grind the smoke with. A whiffum, <laughs> whiffum dilly. Whiffum dilly. Whiffum dilly. Okay, yeah. we're adding that one to the list. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like somebody reading the menu at an ice cream shop. They all, yeah. <laughs> each pair of words sounds like a treat. <laughs> yeah, that's I'll take fantastic. a dingbat and a whiffum dilly. Two whiffum dillies, please. Hold that's the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, does that help? That does. Thank you. I didn't know if it was maybe regional, um, you know, kind of being near Louisiana in the Beaumont area, but um, I guess it's just kind of every area has their own flavor of that. Yeah, phrase, it's a kind so. of folklore. You know, there's a folklore comes in a lot of different dimensions, and this is the strange folklore that is transmitted from an older generation to a younger one. Yeah, and um, across the pond because whim wham for a goose's bridle is found in England. Oh, is that from the UK? Yes. How about that? Oh, interesting. Yes. So there you go. But I just love this this little bit of folklore that lingers. Mm-hmm. It's not that dominant. There's no television show named after it. It hasn't shown up as a book title, as far as I know. Um, just kind of lurks there. Yeah. yeah. And then there are these. These oddballs like your grandfather who can't let yeah. go. You go, Grandpa. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> thanks for calling, Claire. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Oh, there's got to be a lot more of these, and I want to hear yeah. them all. What do you say to your kids when they ask you a question that you don't want to answer? Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. email from Karen Walters who asks, is there a term for a word that does not fit its own definition? For example, phonetically is not spelled phonetically. And the word verb is a noun. And monosyllabic is polysyllabic. Is there a word for that? I don't know that there's a word for it. I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, the, the quiz guys would know. Yeah. Just their bailiwick. Probably, yeah, I'm thinking of words that do fit their definition, like, like sesquipedalian. Yes, great it's example. It's a really long word. Sure, yeah. yeah. And while we're thinking about it, why is it that the word mnemonic 
is so hard to remember how to spell. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Deep thoughts here on Public Radio. 877-929-9673 is the number to call or send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Selena Laterra. I'm calling from Tucson, Arizona. Hi, Selena. Welcome to the show. What can we help you with? Well, I have a question uh, about a debate that I have with my boyfriend on a regular basis. Um, He's from Texas, and I'm from New York. Um, It's really a wonder we can even communicate. But (laughs) we've been together for nine and a half years, and and often I have to get out my Texan English dictionary. (laughs) But one of the things that we discuss on a regular basis is the difference in how we say something um, when we're describing how to throw something out. He says that the way the difference is because of where we were raised. Um, He was born in Dallas. I was born in New York in the Bronx. And when he throws something out, he says, oh, you know, I don't need that. Just chunk it. And I say, oh, I don't need that. Just chuck it. So I say chuck is the correct way. And he says chunk. So I wanted to get the uh, definitive answer on this. So we could finally settle this or not. So you say chuck, C-H-U-C-K, and that means to toss or to throw. And he says chunk, C-H-U-N-K, and that means to toss or to throw, right? To him it does, yes. Here's the big news. And to millions of people in the American South, he's right, you know. It's a southernism, and he's not alone. Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, Georgia, you name it. In the South, they say it. But Chuck isn't wrong. Chuck isn't wrong either. You were both right. But he, but he's oh. right. It's about where he came. He learned it because of where he comes from. Oh, well, that's not really thrilling to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I know who's going to be doing the happy dance. <laughs> but here's the thing. I think he's going to be doing the happy dance, exactly. And, and it was because it was a Southern thing. And I even said, well... Martha's from the South. She's going to know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you might find this chunk verb in the speech of some Southerners, but not all Southerners. But you almost, almost never find it in the speech of people from anywhere else in the country, the North and the West and so forth. Yeah, I have to say, I would say Chuck. Yeah, chuck I would it. usually say Chuck, too. But I have heard chunk. The, the word goes back at least 200 years in American hmm. English. It's been recorded as an Americanism for a very long time, specifically called out in a variety of dictionaries as being particular to the American South for, for, for a very long time. That's so interesting. Wow. It's, it's interesting well, to me that they mean the same thing because to me to chunk something is much it's something much heavier. It's a he- oh, yeah, so, it so lands with a thud. Mm, interesting. It, but, exactly. Or, you know, cooking and chopping something up in chunks or or hmm. it just I, I thought my head was gonna spin the first time I, I heard it. But <laughs> he's gonna be so thrilled to so hear this. I would I would argue that you need to appreciate this southern gentleman, well I hope he's a gentleman, that lives in your house. Yeah, don't chuck him. <laughs> don't get rid of him. And and start to find the charm in his particular way of saying things. I'm sure you've got some New Yorkese in you that he he, he wonders about, right? <laughs> oh I, de- I definitely yes, I definitely do. And and with my family, uh, he's he's learned a whole new slew of words. Nice, yeah. I love that. I yeah. I think that's I love it when two cultures get together in a family, <laughs> right? In the same well, household. It's great, and you know the thing is, is that we uh, we we drive an eighteen wheeler, so we're all over the country. Oh wow. and yeah, we do hear a lot of different words and phrases in different parts of the country. So I do appreciate all of those differences. 
But when it comes right down to having a battle at your kitchen table... <laughs> or, or in the cabin. <laughs> Only the one of you gets right. to sleep in the bunk that night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you for calling. In the future, call us again about your stories from the road with the stuff that you're picking up. We'd love to hear yeah, it, Yeah, right? we'd love to hear from him, Great. too. Okay. Take Thank care now. Thank you very much. Best, best wishes to you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye, bye-bye. now. We'd love to be charmed by you. Call us with your stories and tales, your romantic interludes that always devolve into language. <laughs> 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. Oh, I've been having a fine old time with the Reddit thread on intellectual jokes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. man, I cannot leave this alone. <laughs> Tell this me your is... favorite. Is it solipsistic in here or is it just me? Yes. (laughs) A man is on his first visit to Boston and he wants to try out some of the delicious New England seafood that he's heard about. So he gets into the cab and he says to the driver, can you take me to where I can get scrod? And the driver replies, I've heard that question a thousand times, but I've never heard it in the pluperfect subjunctive. Hot chat for nerds, 877-929-9673. It's Mental Floss for Word Nerds as Away With Words continues. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now is our quiz guy, Mr. John Chinesky. Hello, John. Uh, Hi, I'm Mr. now. That's very nice. (laughs) We missed you a lot. What do you have for us? That's (laughs) right. What do I have for you guys? You know, you guys like to encourage people to talk about and explore language, of course. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people to talk about and explore puzzles. Mm -hmm. One thing that I'd really like people to do is to be picky about who makes their puzzles. People should have favorites, and, and many crossword fans do, right. which is why I like to show the work of crossword constructors that I think are brilliant. Okay, artisanal okay? puzzles. Very good, yes. I'll give you some punny clues from three popular constructors, and I'll give you the uh, length of the answer and the first letter. Okay. For example, the first group comes from uh, a constructor by the name of Brendan Emmett Quigley, mm-hmm. and you can find him on the internet, and he's a great constructor. Now, these are, of course, uh, mostly some, they're punny clues, so a lot of times they have a question mark at the end of them to indicate that they are puns. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is a five-letter word, and the clue is makes bread. Begins with an E. Makes bread? Makes bread, beginning with an E. Earns. Earns is right. Very oh. good. Grant. Always a play on one of the words, usually. Speaking of which, yes. the clue is last thing to do before getting one's master's. Four letters. Beginning with P. Play? Close. Putt is correct. That's yeah. Good. This yeah, one yeah, actually doesn't yeah. even require a question mark because it is the last thing you do before you get your master's. Putt is right. This one's perfect for you guys. Clean air org? Question mark. Three letters. Okay. NPR. <laughs> oh. nice. They have fresh air, right? It's not no, EPA. They do have fresh air, That's but this good. is no, this is clean air. What's of course, f- this is this is an abbreviation because the word org abbreviation mm-hmm. with a period is What's in the there. What's the first letter? F. FCC. FCC is right. Very good, Martha. And those were clues from Brendan Emmett Ooh, Quigley. Now here okay, are good. a few. Here are a few from a very clever uh, constructor named Patrick Berry. He does great crosswords as well as great cryptics. It might hold a few swallows. This one begins with an N. Neck? What do you say, not, an N? Not neck. Um, Nest? Nest ah, is go. right. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. Very good. 
How about this one? Four letters. Caseload. Four letters. Beginning with a B. Beer? Beer is right. Very good. That fits perfectly. I'm going to write that in. There we go. How about something thrown for a loop? Five letters beginning with L. Something thrown for a loop. Something thrown for a Lasso. Yes, lasso. very Very good. Nice. Those were from Patrick Berry. Here are some from Elizabeth Gorski. She has, I think, more Sunday New York Times puzzles than anybody. How about this one? One getting hit on at a party. Six letters. One getting hit on at a party. Mm-hmm. Pinata. Pinata is correct. Nice. Yes, very good. And how about a four-letter word for sitting area? But. <laughs> Rear. <laughs> You're close. I'm sorry. I should have told you it begins with a T. Oh, Tush. T. Tush is correct. Oh, yes, good. very good. Uh, here's another one. Revolutionary figure. Six letters. This begins with a P. Revolutionary figure. Revolutionary hmm. figure. Something that spins around. Pirouette? Mm. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh. Planet. Planet, yes. Very good. <laughs> very good. That, very good is, that is a good very one. Very good. Yeah, I like okay. that one a lot. And finally, uh, ball coverings. Five letters. Ball coverings. Okay. Yeah, five letters starting with a G. Gowns? Gowns is correct. Gowns. Very good, Martha. Oh, very good. John, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for introducing us to some of these crossword puzzle masters. I've been getting into it recently and really enjoying the clever brains. Yes, it's my pleasure to introduce you. I hope I hope to introduce you in person sometime. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to talk about any aspect of language, just give us a call at 877-929-9673. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can always email us. That address is words at waywordradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Katie. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Hello, Katie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Katie. What's up? Thank you. Well, I'm a school teacher. Um, I work for Dallas Independent School District. Um, and I first heard this phrase at a professional development workshop, and it is share out. Instead of share, you would say share out. So if you were getting your kids um, to work in groups, and they were talking, and then when you wanted them to share with the rest of the class, you would say, share out. Um, It struck me because I didn't understand why she didn't just say, share. So I was just, you know, thought maybe this is a Dallas thing, this is our urban thing, because I grew up in a small town just outside of Dallas. But then this summer, I attended a national conference, and there were teachers from all over the nation, and they said the same thing. They said, share out. And they also said, explain out. Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking, this is weird. I've never heard this before. Why are they adding out to the end of it? Is this just a teacher thing? I just thought it was really unique. Did you get the sense that that was any different than just sharing? It was like more encouraging, I think. Like, you shout it out. That's different than just a shout. It's like, hmm. share out, be proud, be, you know, don't be timid. Ah. I like that. I think that is a really good analysis of what might be happening here. We can't know for sure. We'd need a lot more evidence. But Mm -hmm. I think the idea that the out adds in this idea of being expressive and forceful and not holding back, I love that because it does. we do have many compounds in English that behave that way. Um, To shout it out or to... um, 
us cry out loud. Well, to me, it connotes a sense of everybody broke up into small groups and they all work together on a project and then they come back together and share out with the group. To, I, to everybody exactly. in the room instead of just their yeah. own little pot of people. Yeah, that's my sense of okay. it. And I've heard it in corporate situations that way where, you know, teams will work on something and then they'll come share out to everybody else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, and then that's kind of like how where education is going towards. It's supposed to be more collaborative. You're supposed to really think aloud your ideas as opposed to the teacher just lecturing. It's more of like this, community feel so Mm -hmm. I I, but I have not heard it any other place than besides the the teaching profession so that's neat that you have heard it somewhere else well yeah I I have but I'm really curious about explain out that That seems seems more uncomfortable to me awkward to the ear and the mouth both yeah, I think she just uh, was maybe getting really comfortable with share out and trying <laughs> to apply that because, you know, maybe next is going to be think out. That's right. Out. I don't know. Just I have down. to say, though, I think what we've got here, let's, if I can go to the meta narrative level on this, I think what we've got here is a really good example of nascent jargon being formed within a, a small group of professionals who are all on the same mission. And it remains to be seen whether or not this will leave that group of education professionals and enter into the full world. I know Martha's heard it in corporate environments, but um, will regular everyday people be saying this in the house? Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder. I mean, you share out profits, too. A company shares out profits. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a bit of jargon, and I would caution um, everyone whose first impulse is to say, oh, it's repugnant. Why not just say explain and share? Just to hold off a, a bit, a couple of years, maybe 10 years, and just see what happens to explain out and share out and see if maybe they get their own life and their own meeting that are, as we're trying to explain here, that are different than explain and share. That's what will probably happen. Okay. Yeah. I will maybe use it this upcoming fall. i got to say two things well, yeah, to you, Katie. Keep your ears open. Yeah, one, congratulations on keeping your ears open. You're a great uh, uh, linguistic field worker, I would say. And second, good luck with teaching. You're doing the hard work, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. All right. Take care now. Bye, Katie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, we'd love to hear your experiences with these words or other bits of corporate jargon. Call us 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Peter. Hi, Peter. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, Vermont. Welcome to the show. How can we help? Well, I just wanted to uh, tell you about my experience with a word called awesome. Uh, I was born in 1944. And back then, the word awesome actually uh, brought on a feeling of awe, such as uh, taking a look down into the Grand Canyon. But I noticed that that word has morphed to the point that if you go to a ball game, someone says, hey, the mustard on my hot dog was awesome. (laughs) And I kind of think that that word is being sort of cheated or watered down. And I uh, talked to my mother-in-law, who was born in 1920, and she agrees, she says that word, back when she remembered it, had to do with a physical thing that happened, like uh, conquering Mount Everest, and it was a physical thing that then went into your body and had an effect on your soul. Yeah. So I just thought I'd uh, tell you a little bit about my thinking about a word that has been watered down. Maybe it was really good mustard. Maybe <laughs> maybe that man went yeah. and changed his life, went to an ashram or something. That's right. Maybe it was Grand Canyon worthy. But you're right. There's what's called semantic weakening happening here with the word awesome. It went from being a very powerful, heightened word to being something kind of mediocre and bland. It's true. 
That's the one of the ways that the language changes. Um, we do it all together as a group. There's not much way that any one person or even a tiny group of people can stop that from happening, I'm afraid. Peter, I'm wondering about how that makes you feel. Are you irritated by it? Or are you just noting it? Or Well, um, I can give you sort of an off-colored use. The other day I heard somebody who was late meeting his wife, and he said, oh, the baby had an awesome diaper. And I, I have to say, <laughs> it really is somewhat of a negative twist on that word. And I was irritated, so I'm answering your question. Yes, I think the use of the word now is... Um, it's just been, it's very irritating to my hearing and also to Betty, uh, my mother-in-law. She says it's irritating the way it's used, and mm. um, so the answer is yes. So for you, the word is skunked. That's what we call a word where if you use it, you risk being misunderstood or misinterpreted. So what do you use instead? Um, well, I just use tremendous and great. Um, I actually don't use the word awesome anymore because it doesn't have much meaning to me mm-hmm. at my, in my generation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so often what happens. We've got words that are faddish. They become hugely popular. They're the, the current thing to say. People use them. They're all over the place. And then everyone starts to collectively realize that they're saying it too much and hearing it too much, and they stop using it, and we move on to something else. Yeah, they realize that they're using it lazily. I mean, it's almost like cuss words, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where you just revert to that, you just default to that, and don't really think about exactly what it is about the mustard that you really liked. Far out, man. Far out, well, gone. <laughs> the word uh, no longer inspires awe, which uh, I guess is the root base of the word. Yes. And Tremendous, I think of the Chicago Fire, I'm sure that was an awesome event. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks for hearing my thoughts. Yeah, sure. Thanks for calling, Peter. Really appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Take, take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Find us on Twitter with the handle wayward on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook. Grant, you know how much I love coffee. I'm going to borrow a word from Jennifer Bragg, who wrote us. She said, in our home, we call a cup of extra strong coffee, confesso. (laughs) <laughs> one cup and you can't stop talking. <laughs> that sounds like That's a awesome. public radio That's host I know and love. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this? Uh, my name is Veronica, and I'm calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, Veronica. How you doing? So, I feel like I should give you guys some background story about how I even got to thinking about this word. Okay. Um. Me and a friend were reminiscing about the great state of Florida, which is originally where I was born. And um, my dad and my stepmom and a bunch of my other family members still live down there. So even when we were moving around a lot when we were growing up, we used to go and visit them all the time. And so we started thinking about, you know, and recalling all of those just little things that are special and different about Florida. Like all the houses have clay tile uh, roofs instead of shingles, and they're you know, stucco, and everybody has tile in their houses instead of carpet. You know, you don't really see carpet a lot. No, you don't want carpet in a Florida house. Right, yeah. And so one of the things that I was thinking about is how every house I've ever seen in Florida has a screened-in porch. Usually it has, you know, some some kind of concrete floor. It's usually located at the back of the house, and it's all completely screened in. And this is pretty much without fail, like universal or uniform across the state. Everybody's got one. 
And the word that I used to refer to it in this conversation was lanai, because that is the word that I have had always heard it, you know, go get your brother off the lanai, or do you want to go sit on the lanai and have a drink? When I said this word, everybody kind of just looked at me like, huh? <laughs> what does that mean? What is that word? And so it kind of got me thinking about it, like, is that a regional word? Where did it come from? Is it specific to Florida or the South in general? You know, what's really interesting about this term is that it's much more common in Hawaii. That's where it's from. It's from the Hawaiian language. Yeah, it's a Hawaiian word. Hawaii. Yeah, it's been in English for like at least 300 years. Yeah. So it's interesting that it connotes Florida for you, but I suspect that that has to do with developers in Florida or real estate agents applying that fancy name to um, to what was a pretty mundane area of uh, of our house anyway. Yeah, that makes sense to try and make it sound more like exotic and appealing. Yeah, yeah, like you're going to be draped with lays and people are going to be handing you a drink with a little paper umbrella in it or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, we could talk all day about the difference between a porch and a lanai, but a porch to me, is not always enclosed and is usually raised up off the ground. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's and the word I here a... for that is breezeway. Well, a... I'll hear the word breezeway here in Indianapolis a lot, but I've never heard anybody around here say lanai. Well, breezeway, where I grew up in Missouri, wasn't anything like a porch, really. It was actually a passageway between two buildings, usually covered over with a roof and not enclosed. Yeah, that's my sense of it. Oh. You're saying that a breezeway in Indiana is, is a patio? An outdoor patio? Yeah, that's what I've heard it called a lot. Like, if there's an enclosed porch, you know how, I mean, sometimes it can even be almost like a second, another room to your house. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they get them all closed in. It could even have, like, a ceiling fan in there or something. But it's a nice, like, closed-in room in the house, and they'll call that a breezeway. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. I've hmm. never heard that. But uh, I was wrong, actually. Uh, Lanai has been in English for 200 years, not 300 years. But it first shows up in some journals from some early visitors to Hawaii in the uh, uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. And um, it it has meant various things, including a a shack or a bower or just a tiny little hut or enclosure, and eventually became kind of more specific as it came into English um, to refer to a a screened-in porch Mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost Mm -hmm. always. I could be wrong. I'm going to get a lot of people going, well... I have a lanai that's this that's not screened in. Yeah, I don't think it has to be screened in. No, yeah. And we're spelling it L-A-N-A-I, right? Right, yeah, lanai. So cool. I I would love to get to the bottom of why that Hawaiian word ended up in Florida. Maybe Martha's theory is right. Home builders loved it for its exotic flavor and took it. So when you're selling a house and you say it has a lanai, that feels fancy. Yeah, I mean, mean, terms like great room. Yeah. (laughs) Great room? Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, and a lot of of it has been influenced, you know, by the Spanish culture down there. So I wasn't sure. That's really interesting Mm. that it actually comes from Hawaii. I would have just assumed that it was you know, like some sort of Spanish word that they had adopted, you know, just like a bunch of other stuff that they have down there. All right. Well, thanks for calling. Really appreciate Veronica sharing your story with us. All right. All right. Thank you for having me. Okay. Take take care, care, Veronica. Bye-bye. Thanks. You too. Grant, I had one of those forehead-smacking moments the other day. You know, when you when you see a phrase as if it's for the first time and you think, where in the heck did that come from? Mm-hmm. And the phrase is, in the offing. Some yeah. event is in the offing. Yeah, it's about to happen. Or... Yeah. It is a nautical term. The offing is the part of the deep sea that you can see from the shore. 
So something that's in the offing oh, is right out there. It's oh, it's it's just about it's, it's about within, to yeah. You can come you can in, see right, it. Yeah, yeah. Very good. How that's cool good. That? Yeah, I You're love it. You're not smacking your forehead. No. <laughs> Only when I drive. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. More of your questions and stories about language right here on Away with Words. Stick around. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Remember last year when European researchers announced that they discovered the Higgs boson? Mm-hmm. Huge scientific right. discovery. The basic building block of the universe. Mm. People called it the God particle. Well, for many people, there was something even more shocking than Uh-oh. this discovery. And that was the fact that scientists announced this momentous discovery in a PowerPoint presentation, the text of which was written in the font Comic Sans. Not PowerPoint. No. Not Comic Sans. <laughs> Comic Sans. And the blogosphere, or at least parts of the blogosphere, went nuts. Well, because, my part did. Yeah, your part did. My part did because for many people, Comic Sans is the font you love Comic to hate. Comic Sans. Oh, yeah. Comic Sans. Yeah. Why do so many people hate it, Grant? I mean, uh, are you a hater? Are you a yeah, 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 definitely. That yeah. and Zaff Chancery. You use those, I automatically <laughs> discount anything you put in print. Right, right. I think it's trying too hard or something. Yeah, right? yeah. You're like, oh, I, I'm not clever enough to be funny, so I'll yeah, just yeah. use a funny font. Hey, this looks like it's written with a felt-tip pen. Well, there's a funny but enlightening article about this online. It's by graphic designer David Cadavy, and he rants about Comic Sans. He calls it the font of bake sales and birthday party invitations for three-year-olds. But, Grant, one big insight that I got from his article was yeah. the fact that Comic Sans was invented back before our computers were equipped with what's called anti-aliasing. Do you know this? Yes, I know what anti-aliasing is, right? So instead of having a jaggy edge, you use the colors that are in the composite parts of the screen to make them a little lighter and darker. So to the eye, it looks like there's smoothing happening there. You knew that already. I come from an IT background. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I worked with art departments across, you know, all over the place. Yeah, we yeah. cared about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Back then, before this technology that made fonts look smooth on screens, mm-hmm. they looked sort of like little stacks of Legos, yeah. right? It was either black or white, and there wasn't yeah. much variability there. Yeah, and the truth is, if you look at a computer that doesn't have that technology, then Comic Sans actually looks better oh, than other fonts. how about that? So it was a font before its time. Mm-hmm. So that... that Makes me cut it a little bit more slack. Maybe. Maybe it's time to retire it. Mm, Yeah. And if you have strong feelings about Comic Sans, you'll really love this site called (laughs) bancomicsans.com. Oh, no. It's, it's great. It's, it's a beautiful site. It's a tongue-in-cheek blog that's devoted to putting the sands in Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a little manifesto that starts, We believe in the sanctity of typography. That's one of those things. It's just like language peeves. You'll never abolish Comic Sans. It's here to stay. Maybe not. I mean, they're probably... Well, you know, we actually, we were talking about this on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And there were some people who said, Well, wait a minute, wait. I love that font. Yeah, yeah. But, but it does. The no mechanic you know, taste. Yeah, it's sort of like angel perfume. But you know, really, let's get back it. to the heart of your what you said there. This is not the font to use to announce a world-shattering discovery. <laughs> 
this is not the one. It'd oh, like, exactly. Uh, like imagine the newspaper, aliens visit us. We are not alone. And it's in Comic Sans. You just know. Use a strong serif typeface, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. With, with good verticals. Right. Yes. Mm. Baskerville yeah. or Times New oh, Roman. But yeah, font nerd me. Uh, I used to be able to spec the entire Adobe font library on site. That's how good I was. Spec it? What does that That's mean? That's all the fonts in the Adobe library. I could look at it on a page and tell you what oh, face yeah. it was, yeah. what part of the family, what the size was, maybe help you with the kerning and the letting just ooh, by looking at it without ooh. without without tools. <laughs> Can't do it, that anymore, though. <laughs> it's Hot Chat for Nerds right here. You can call us, 877-929-9673, or send us email to words at waywardradio.org, and you can find us on that Facebook page and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mary Beth Wood. Hi, Mary Beth. Where are you calling from? Sandy Hook, Virginia. Sandy Hook, Virginia. Where is that? That is between Richmond and Charlottesville. Okay. All right. So what's on your mind? We have a country convenience store um, that we've had since 1982. And when I first bought the store, uh, the gentleman that we bought it from, his his uh, wife, um, I'm sorry, his sister worked for us. Um, and she was helping train me, if you will. And her name was Mary Bell. And a gentleman came in and he asked me for a can of Creasy's. And I, I asked him again what he said, and he said, again, I, I need some creases. And I couldn't, underst- I couldn't figure out what on earth he was talking about, and she was kind enough to whisper in my ear, he means crest salad. And so I went over to the, to the shelf and got a can of crest salad off. And sure enough, when I looked at the label, underneath crest salad on the label, it said creases. And I just wondered where on earth that originally came from. Hmm. Interesting. It said on the label? On the label, in parentheses, it said creases. Okay, I have to ask, what kind of salad comes in a can? Um, well, this it was cr- crest salad, um, watercress. Okay. Crest salad. And um, you can buy, you know, they call, call them salad greens in the South. Okay. okay. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, turnip greens and... and Collard greens and, and whatnot. Right. Healthy. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's yeah. mixed with maybe a little bit of salt or vinegar or something? or. Hey, yeah, probably so. Mm-hmm. But mostly canned in water. And, okay. And you, you season them. Okay. Creases. Creases. Yeah. We've got yeah. a long history of, of mispronouncing the word cress in the United States. Well, maybe not mispronouncing it, but at least having dialect variants hmm. as creases ah. or cresses or crease or a variety of different things. The Dictionary of American Regional English, our go-to source for this sort of thing, has a great entry on this. They've taken it back as far as the 1930s, um, and they suggest that it's generally in the South Midlands, which means, let's say, just south of the Ohio River Valley, but north of the true American South. That's the kind of region where you're more likely to hear creases. And it's not just cresses. Uh, generally, it is a cress, like a water cress, but sometimes it's just generically used for any kind of greens that you might get off a plant, including collard greens or the tops of this and that, or maybe mm. even poke for that matter. Um, so sometimes when people ask, ask for creases, some, some, some questions are needed to know exactly what they mean. Mm. Uh, but generally, we're talking about stuff that's served with served hot, right? Not like a cold salad? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so oh, it's yeah. like cooked. Cooked, right. It cooked okay. with maybe a little bit of bacon fat in there and salt and pepper. Might throw in some onions or, or what have you, right? Oh, exactly. Okay, good, good. Um, mm. Yeah, but so it's a good long history. Um, the 
Dictionary of American Regional English spells it C R E E C E C R E E C E, but you'll find it spelled like crease, like a crease in your jeans, and um, creasy C R E A S Y, and a variety of other other spellings. Yeah, so it has nothing to do with looking like creases or no, or no, no. It's just a dialect pr- pronunciation of cress, huh. right, as in watercress. Now that's the cress that I know best. Uh, uh-huh. My grandmother lived in southeast Missouri for a time near a place that had a a natural spring, and we would go down there and collect the watercress, and that would be a part of our dinner. It was hmm. fantastic. So how's that, Mary Beth? Interesting. Thank you very You're welcome. much. Thanks for calling. Take care, Mary Beth. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, I love those expressions. They all remind me, everything that she talked about reminded me of my grandmother. Yeah? Yeah. Your just grandmother the, would use the that. The picking greens, going down for yeah. the watercress, just as the country expressions, a particular way of talking. There's so much wrapped up in a single word, mm-hmm. right? So many connotations. It's like mm-hmm. a smell or something. Yep. 877-929-9673 or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Oh, yes. Uh, this is Martha? Yes. Who's this? Oh, hi, Martha. This is George. George, welcome to the show. Hi, George. How you doing? Oh, God. Thank you very much. Yes. How are you doing? Very well. Good. It's good to have you on here. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Kirkland, Quebec. It's a town close to Montreal. Okay. Great. How can we help you? Yes, I have two questions. Um, it's about it. When you say, for example, it is a baby... Or it is a girl. Why, why we use it? Because it is for animals or things. And we are using this with the baby. Or it's a boy, it's a girl. Right, right. And the other question is, when, when you say it's raining, why is it? It means the cloud, the air, the weather. So you've got a couple of interesting questions here, George. The first one... The, the main reason that somebody would use it, it would, might be because they're unclear about the gender of the thing that they're talking about. So if you say it's a baby, maybe you don't know that it's a boy or a girl baby. But the but thing anyway, is, it's a human being, right? So what mm-hmm. we don't have a we don't have a a good pronoun to use if you don't know the gender. Most people will probably avoid saying he or she if they don't know it. But what about, uh, you know, when a baby is born and you see all these cards and balloons and things and they all say, it's a boy. Right. I think that's that's your question, right? Yeah, it's a boy. But yeah, that's why. Why do you use it? We have this thing in English that's not widely taught. It's called the dummy it, D-U-M-M-Y-I-T. And the dummy it is kind of a placeholder. In English, we require that a sentence have a subject. But sometimes we have these circumstances where the subject is not clear or the subject is also the object or just we're kind of making a general statement where the subject doesn't matter. So we say things like, it's a boy, meaning the occasion tells me that it is a boy. Or we I say, will use it just to respect the laws of grammar. Yes, exactly. And it's raining is another great example of that. Or it's a long way to Tipperary. It's we don't really have to have the it's there except it's that, hot. Except the grammar requires it. The syntax of English requires mm-hmm. it, and so we drop it in there. And there are thousands of ways to do this in English to use it in this way where it's not clear why it is in there, but but we do it. Most English speakers don't study this in school, so it's kind of a surprise to them to hear the term weather it or dummy it, which is kind of the colloquial linguistics way to refer to these. Okay, now, now it's clear for me. Yes, yes, it's just mainly to respect the law 
of the construction of sentence. There we go. Beautiful. Exactly right. Yep, you nailed it. Okay, good. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate you really clarifying me the question. George, thank <laughs> you so much for your call. We really appreciate you calling. Hey, have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's great. Fantastic question. And he really, he really got right to the heart of the answer, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you say weather it, you're not spelling it W-H, no. right? You're talking about actually the weather. Yeah, rain and it's snow. It's raining. And, yeah, it's fog, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's foggy out. Well, what is the it? Well, it's a placeholder subject that we need in order to make the sentence sound right to us. Yep. Yeah. 877-929-9673 is the number to call with your language questions. we were talking about faulty language selection, that problem that polyglots have when they've learned several languages and then one language gets in the way of the other one. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of response from our listeners about that. And one really interesting one came from Phoebe Liu. She's Chinese. She currently lives in Seattle. And she said that she learned English as a second language when she was in middle school. And then when she went to university, she majored in Japanese. And she says that during her freshman year, when she talked to people in English and forgot the vocabulary, she would immediately go to Japanese mm -hmm. rather than her native Chinese. And she said that eventually she came up with this strategy that seemed to help. She writes, I pretended to be a stereotypical Japanese anime girl when I speak Japanese using soft intonations and more humble body language. When I talk in English, I would use a firmer voice and hold up my chest like a confident American young girl. I got to be back to myself when using Chinese. This helped me to separate the languages efficiently during talking, and even if I got stuck, it was still in that language and wouldn't slip away to another. And I've been wondering if this role-playing solution only works on me. I guess if connections are made between body languages and the language, it'll be harder to change the language you're speaking. Oh, what a really good point. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I've heard that being effective for other people. Yeah. That they feel like different they feel like different characters when they're oh, speaking different languages. Definitely, yeah. definitely. When I speak Spanish, I'm much more demonstrative. My and hands. If move you're learning and... a language, that's all that's the advice that I give to people and have been given myself, which is um imitate. Imitate like the parody even somebody that you know oh, that already speaks the language. Uh -huh. Even mimic them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then you'll you'll find that you'll become that other other kind of person. Interesting. Yeah. If you've got more to say about what it's like to get confused between two languages, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant. This is Gail Millard from San Antonio, Texas. Welcome to the show. Nice to talk to you. Hi. Thank you. Well, I, I live in, in Texas, but I am a fourth-generation Oklahoman, <clears throat> Excuse me. and um, there is a phrase that my mother has said since I was a little girl, and my brother and my dad and I have always teased her about it, and she could never really talk about where it came from. But here it is. When, when we are going from one place to a destination, and that, that route includes a fairly secure, circuitous route, she would say we had to go around Robin's barn to get there. And she could never really tell us where that phrase came from, although I did ask her recently, and she said she thinks her grandmother used to say that, that if something was hard to get to, you would say, we had to go around Robin's barn to get there. So my question is, who is Robin, and why did he build a barn in such an inconvenient location? <laughs> <laughs> and what's in it? Yeah. Gail, have you heard anyone else use it? No, I haven't. In fact, that's been kind of strange that... 
it, it obviously it came from someone in her family, and I never heard anyone in our family say it either. It's mm-hmm. only my mother. Well, it's interesting that she says around Robin's barn, because usually the phrase is around Robin Hood's barn. Oh, really? Yeah, Robin Hood as in the guy who lived out in Sherwood Forest, far, far away from everybody else. Okay. And you see this expression all across the U.S., across basically the northern part of the U.S. You can can look at a map of it, and, and it's right across the northern half of the United States. People say, by way of Robin Hood's barn, or go around Robin Hood's barn, or around Robin Hood's barn, and in the back door. Well, I, I can't really tell you where my family came from before Oklahoma. I've never really done a genealogy, but because Oklahoma was settled by pioneers, they came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So they may have come the, from the north. But the expression can just, it, it can travel without having the people move. You know, the expression can travel on its own from mouth to ear, mouth to ear, and yeah. so forth. Yeah, sure. 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 Yeah. So we're not actually referring to an actual barn, are we? Well, well, now it depends on your perspective, right? The story, Martha, tell me if I'm getting this right. The idea is that Robin Hood would go and steal from the rich, and he would steal lots of things, uh, animals and rich clothing and what have you, and he would store it in the forest. Sherwood Forest was then literally his barn. That's the place where you keep things, right? And so when you talk about Robin Hood's barns, you're talking about uh, the forest or some patch of land in between um, one destination and another. I see. Well, and that also kind of makes some sense, because I always wondered it, why it was really that big, big a deal to go around a barn. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good yeah, point. Yeah, if it's a forest, <laughs> that it's a really much big delay. Yeah. But yeah. if the barn is an entire forest, then that, that certainly explains why it would alter your destination arrival time. In a couple places in the U.K., they have actually named various features of the land Robin's Barn or Robin Hood's Barn. How funny. Yeah. Okay, well, I can't wait to go back to her with the story. This is cool. awesome. Yeah, well, there you go. Thanks Th- for calling, Gail. All right. Thanks okay, for calling. Okay, you bet. All right, Thanks bye-bye. 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 I think that's a terrific expression for getting to someplace by a circuitous route. Robin, by way of Robinson's barn? Yeah, whether it's literally or figuratively. Instead you know, of t- <laughs> by way of the DOT? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When somebody doesn't stop to ask for directions or you're telling a long, shaggy dog story. Thanks to the Department of Transportation and eight years of construction. <laughs> <laughs> 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Check out our website, too, waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, a language blog, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of episodes of past shows for free. And you can leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language or ask us to resolve disputes at work, home, or in school. You can email us, too. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our production staff includes Stephanie Levine, Tim Felton, and James Ramsey. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Burnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Adios. Ciao. You like potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole
Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.